Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Good morning. Now, here, do me a favor. Turn to the person sitting next to you that you like and say, I'm ready this morning. All right, now turn to the person you snobbed and say, are you ready? Right, see, you know, some of you got multiple people sitting beside you and you you liked one better. Hey, I hope you're ready this morning. We're in James chapter 1. And James chapter 1, we're going to talk about first fruits this morning. Uh, First fruits attitudes. It, when we left off last week, as we looked through the, to the book of James, we left off at verse 18 last week. And as we've been looking at it, we've, we've understood that James gives us a blueprint on how we live and how our life should reflect him. And so in verse 18, he tells us that we are to be the first fruits creation of God. Well, let's talk about that this morning. Let's, let's have an idea of what does he mean by that. Because James is about telling us how to live. In fact, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that James paints this picture for us of what we're to look like and how we're to live. Um, somebody has said this, uh, and by the way, for our, our TV audience, I apologize the last two weeks. I aim to start with this. Apologize last two weeks. Didn't have the TV for you to be able to see the notes, but you can see them now. Uh, first first attitude. Somebody has said it this way. Uh, our attitude is, the mi- uh, attitude is the mind's paintbrush. It can color any situation. It can color any situation. Your attitude reflects a lot about who you are. And, and the question for us is, as we look at the text, what's our attitude like? What does it, what does it mean? Now, James is all about helping us have the details to know what to, to think and do. I, I always loved it when a professor in, in class would say, hey, this is really important for you to know, especially for a test. Um, I, I know I don't come off this way, but I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. And so when they told me that, I was smart enough to write that down because at some point I would need to remember that. In fact, I remember uh, in seminary, Dr. Peter Gentry was my Old Testament professor. Dr. Gentry was from Canada and was brilliant. I mean, he still is. He's still alive. He's teaching still. He could speak seven different languages fluently. And he pastored a Chinese-speaking church. So he was our Old Testament professor. And when the midterm came up, uh, I, we dismissed. And I'd caught him in the lunchroom. That's my favorite place in the world to be, the lunchroom. And so I saw him there and I said, hey, Dr. Gentry, is there any, any advice you'd give me on studying for the midterm? Yes, the Old Testament. And he kept walking. <laughs> you know, but James doesn't leave us there. James, James helps us know how to live. James tells us, hey, this is important in the way you function, in the way you live your life. This is what you need to have. And then today we're going to talk about the attitude when it comes to Scripture. And the question we have is before us is, what's our attitude like? How do we, how do we live 
What's our attitude in life? Uh, John Maxwell tells a story about two buckets, a pessimist bucket and an optimistic bucket. The pessimist says, there's never been a life more miserable than mine. I come to, I never come away from the well full, but I always return to the well empty. The optimist bucket says, there's never been a life better than mine. I never come to the well empty, but I always go away from the well full. The question is, how do you see life? Do you see it in the negative or do you see it in the positive? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Don't give me realist. Because if you're a realist, that just means you're both because you can't make up your mind. We have to come to a place with our heart and our mind and have the right attitude. And James, James has set up the last two weeks, we've talked about trials and temptations. And now he gets into the nuts and bolts that a lot of it is a, has to do with our attitude. In fact, the Bible has lots to say about attitude has a lot to say about how we reflect in life. Look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 10.2 tells us, wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking lives, leads to wrong living. Should we just pray now and dismiss? I mean, the problem is we read that, but we don't quite understand that. We, we get it, but we, we miss it. Here's, here's what Paul has to say. Adopt the same attitude that is in or that is of Christ Jesus. When you look at Jesus' attitude, I mean, here's a man who had a lot on his plate. People begging for his attention. People longing for, for him. People trying to kill him. And all the time he had the attitude of love. And Jesus says it this way in Luke 6, 45. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now let's pause for just a moment. You realize, or I hope you realize, I've said this before. This day and age for, for Jesus and the disciples in the Old Testament, the heart was not the seat of emotion. That's not where you would say, I love you with all my heart. That's not what that meant. That was an emotional thing. And that day, if you were to say, I love you from the seat of emotion, it was from the bowels. So go home and rewrite your love songs with bowels instead of heart. See how that goes. But, but the heart was the intelligence, the conscious, the thought process. So out of a heart, the mouth speaks. So, Scripture has a lot to say about how our attitude and how we live and reflects. So, James tells us in these verses, beginning in verse 18, what it looks like to have the, a heart that reflects God. So, if you have your Bibles and you're at uh, James chapter 1, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Beginning in verse 18. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits creation. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humble, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like looking in at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away immediately forgets what kind of a person he was. And the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and per perseveres in it and is not a forgettable hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without, he is religious without controlling his tongue, he is, his religion is useless and he's deceiving himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows, to keep oneself unstrained from the world. You may be seated. So James paints this picture here for us. Here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning, simply this. The word of truth challenges and changes a believer's attitude on how to live. The word of truth challenges and changes a believer's attitude on how to live. Let me give you four things we find in this text about attitude and how we should have the right attitude when it comes to God's word. The first one is, is gratitude for the truth that saves you. Gratitude for the truth that has saved you. Listen, well, there ought to be this idea of gratitude in our heart. Because the reality is, you can't save yourself. You can't do anything without God's help. So there should be this sense of gratitude. But do you know what the biggest detractor is to gratitude? It's entitlement. Entitlement. We live in an entitled life. And because we live in an entitled life, we lack gratitude. Look at this statement. The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. The more you think you're entitled to something, the less gratitude you have in your heart. And entitlement leads us to do crazy things. Let me give you three examples of people who just felt like they were entitled. Uh, 1962, I believe it is, the Giants organization, the baseball team, Candlestick Park, is sued because a man said his seat was too cold. Go look it up. 1962, he, he, he argued before the courts that his seat was too cold in Candlestick Park. In fact, many fans felt like Candlestick Park was just a cold place because of the way they designed it. So he went to court, wore a parka to court and said, this is how I have to come to the ball game to enjoy a ball game. And he won the settlement for $1,597. The, the, his season ticket price was $1,500. I'm not sure if the parka cost him $97, but, but anyhow. He won. 
a sense of entitlement. Um, there are others. Uh, Los Angeles Angels, Oakland A's, San Diego Padres have all been sued in 1986 because they gave something to mothers on Mother's Day. And a man's like, well, where's, I want that. And the person who sued them says, you know, why are we giving special treatments to certain people and not every person? Entitlement. Uh, probably my favorite. I, I take that back. The Oakland A's is two, uh, 2006, if you want to research that. This one happened in 1986. A psychic sued her doctor because she had an MRI. MRI, CAT scan, one of those two. And it ruined her psychic ability. And she was warded over $900,000. Now get this. Here's, here's the question I have. If you're psychic, what part of this don't you know is happening? Right? Now, the good news is uh, a month later, the courts overturned it and uh, she didn't get anything. But, but it's in a sense of entitlement. And because of that, rather than being grateful for a doctor who can find out what's wrong with me, rather than being grateful for sports teams that we go and enjoy, they owe us. Newsflash to you, God didn't owe you anything. In fact, you don't deserve anything. What we deserve is hell, but what he gives us is grace. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not from, from works, so that no one can what? Boast. So that no one can boast. Here's the thing, we live in this society and we get this entitlement. If, if you have a thought process that you're entitled when you, when you go to a restaurant, when you go to a store, when you go, listen, yes, you're paying for the product. But they don't have to bow down and kiss your feet. They're humans too. Guess what? They have a bad day. Gratitude changes everything. When we come to God's word and we begin to realize that it is the truth of God's word that saved us, that Jesus Christ and that truth has changed our life, there should be nothing but gratitude in our hearts for how God is working out in us. Even on the worst days. Because our worst days could be worse. We could be without hope. We could be without a future. We could be without Christ. Gratitude. Gratitude when we see God's word and recognize that it changes us and saves us. The second thing I want you to catch from the text is simply this. Humility for the, for the truth that changes you. Humility for the truth that changes you. Now, you've probably heard the old statement that, that basically says... Um, it's hard to be humble when you're as good as I am. Now, I, I, I doubt any of you have that motto hanging up in your house, or I doubt that you, you tell people that. Um, or I hope, let me rephrase that. I hope none of you do. If you do, we're going to invite you at the end of the service to come. We'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. But here's what I think more, more of us say, and it's this way. 
It's impossible to be perfect, so I'm good enough. I think we live by this mentality. That it's impossible to be perfect, so I'm just good enough. And the problem is, we should come to a place in our life and realize that the Word of God is trying to change us to be Christ-like. But in order for that to happen, there has to be this humility that takes place in our hearts to receive that, to recognize there needs to be a change. So look with me again at the text this morning. Look at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be, and catch these three things he tells us here, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, let me confess something to you for just a moment. Can, we do, can I do that? Can I be just honest with you? I sometimes have a problem. Mike, I probably should have had this counseling session with you. For those of you who don't know, every pastor should have a pastor, and Mike is, is that for me. And I, I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love him and appreciate him pastoring me and kicking me in the butt from time to time. But here's the thing. I have this problem. My wife will tell me something. She'll begin to tell me something, and I'll abruptly think I know what she's going to say. And so I talk over her instead of listening and she patiently waits and then she finally looks at me and says that's not what I was going to say <laughs> now you have to understand I have confessed things I would have never confessed about eating that bag of Cheetos at night if I would have just listened now just to make me feel better if you know somebody in the room who does that would you stand up and point at them no I'm just kidding <laughs> just kidding just kidding but I, but I mean do you do that? I mean, if we do that in our everyday relationships, then I think we do that with God. I mean, I, I know there are moments in my life where I'll run through my prayer life and I never give God a chance to speak to me. That there's no time for God to say, hello, because I'm doing all the talking. Now, there's this thing, he says, quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Here's what I've learned. When we're quick to listen, our anger is, is much less. When we talk a lot, our anger goes up because we're not listening well enough. There's this moment in God's truth that we should humble ourselves and hear his word and hear from God and understand God's trying to speak to us. Look at verse 20 and 21. For the human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Understand that, does not. Therefore, rid yourself of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly receive the, what? Implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So here's the thing, the implanted word. When you begin to read God's word, you begin to humbly take that in, here's what God does. He begins to plant that word in your heart. It's like planting a garden in the spring. You go out, you take that seed and you plant it in the soil. When you come to know Christ, he plants that seed in your heart. 
The Holy Spirit then comes into your life and begins to nurture that seed. And as you grow through reading the Word and hearing from the Holy Spirit, you begin to grow in Christ-likeness. But the question is, are we willing to do that? Do we allow the planted Word to take root in our hearts and do we hear that? So let me give you three questions that, that, that you can ask yourself if you're humbly receiving God's word to change your life. First one is, am I open to what the Bible commands of me? When you read God's word, are you open to what it says? Are you open to, to knowing that it is the source of your life that challenges and changes you? When it says love your neighbor, when it says love your enemies, when it tells you to go, are you open to what it commands? Second one is, am I open to the changing of my opinion based on new information? Listen, God's word is living and active. And every time we read it, we gain new insight. And then that new insight challenges us. And sometimes, hey, listen, some, sometimes what we thought we knew, man, that's not quite right. Are, are you open to, to changing because of what God's Word says? And then the third one, do I readily admit when I sin? So when you read God's Word and you realize, hey, man, I've been doing this, <laughs> and I've never caught that. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. Unwholesome. Well, that's gossip. That's telling crude jokes. That's saying unkind things. Do you admit that when you realize that? Are you willing to change? There's one more. And do I truly want God to answer my questions? Let me think about it. Sometimes we ask just because it's lip service, but do we really want God to answer? Because are we prepared for the way God would respond to us? Would we, would we like the way God responds to us? There's got to be a gratitude for the way Christ has saved us, for the way the scripture has changed our life. There has to be a humble heart for when the Word of God changes. And then thirdly, I want you to catch a thankfulness or a thankful for the truth that directs you. Are you thankful for the truth that directs you? God's Word gives us direction. In fact, look at verse 23 here. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, Catch that, a hearer and not a doer. And we'll talk about faith and works in, in, in two more weeks. But James begins to say, if you're a hearer and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. And it goes on in verse 24, it says, For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Now, let me unpack that for just a second. I'm, I'm sure you, when you look in a mirror, you, you, you know what kind of person you are. And, and James's thought processes here is when you look into the mirror, what's the mirror's purpose? 
So let's ask a couple questions. Let's think about a mirror. How many have looked into a mirror this morning? All right. Some, not everybody. You know, I mean, listen, I, I, I mean, let's do it this way. How many have looked into a mirror multiple times this morning? Yeah, now only the, I, I think most of them are all women. Um, here's the thing, I look in the mirror one time of the morning, and it's when I shave. You know, I, I, I look in the mirror to shave my head and shave my face. Um, in fact, I heard a story of a pastor the other day who was focusing on his message while he was shaving and cut himself. And so when he got to the pulpit, he had a Band-Aid over his, 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 under his nose and said, Church, I apologize. I was focused on my message while I was shaving this morning and cut myself. Monday morning, the secretary handed him a note that came through the offering plate that says, Next time, focus on shaving and cut the sermon short. I only look in the, I only look in the mirror when I shave. Now, uh, others look in it all the time. And, and why are you looking into a mirror? You want to make sure everything's okay. You want to make sure that you, the, the hair looks right, the makeup's just right, the, the clothes are on there just right. You look to see if everything is okay and that there's nothing that needs to be changed. For me, if I look into a mirror... I'm only looking for a brief moment. And then if I see something that needs to be changed, I go through this process because I, I don't know, maybe some of you have the same problem I have. I like to wear what I eat sometimes. And if I wear what I eat, I go home and wash it. And then when it comes out of the dryer, there may be this spot on the shirt. In fact, I double checked this shirt this morning. I'm in good shape. But, um, but if sometimes there's a spot on the shirt, and when I get ready of the morning and I do see myself in a mirror and I see that spot, I go through three or four questions. First question is, can I hide it with a coat or a vest? Can I just cover that up and just go on? The second question is, is it really that bad? Is it, is it maybe far enough down on the belly that nobody's really going to be looking and seeing it? I can get by with it. That's, that's the second question. And third question, if I'm just honest, I'll say, do I really have time to change? Or really, do I really want to change is more like it. And sometimes that answer is no. I think we, we look at the mirror sometimes of our own life. James is trying to point to, is the word of God is to direct our life. The question is, when we look in the mirror, are we allowing that to happen or are we deciding, I don't want to change? Sometimes we have this thought process that I'm okay. And we need to, to, to be thankful for how the Word of God directs us, but we've got to be willing to, to make that change. We, we shouldn't be looking quickly just to make sure that that we can get by with however we look. We, we should be looking at our lives and going, okay, how is God directing me? What change do I need to make because of what I'm seeing in Scripture? When we begin to do that and we begin to take on that look and begin to have that idea of change, and realize that we have to be doers and just not hearing it. It changes. And there's this thankfulness that takes place there. 
And that thankfulness should drive us and lead us to be more like Christ. But we have to have that attitude of thankful for what it directs us. I mean, why else do you look in a mirror to see if everything's okay? James says, don't look in the mirror and then walk away and forget that this needs to be addressed. Address it. Fix it. Be thankful that you have the Word of God who points this out to you. So have a, a gratitude, have thankfulness, have humility. Fourth thing we see in the text is this. Trusting for the truth that leads you. Trusting for the truth that leads you. In the closing verses, James points out basically that an active life of a believer is, someone, is something that is seen by others. That, that others see the difference because you are, it's directing you to make a difference. And, he, and at this moment, he understands in his culture that the widows and orphans are being neglected. And that a person who is of faith, they are, their faith would be lived out because they would be, would be led by the Holy Spirit to minister to those families. And so that, help, that leads us to think, are we trusting the way Scripture is leading us? The way the Holy Spirit is leading us? Are we doing what we're called to do? Are we trying to make a difference? Or are we just good with the way we are? What difference are you making? What difference has your faith made in a person's life this week? Have, have, you, have you sought to encourage somebody to make a difference in somebody's life? If you sought to share the, the greatest news you've ever received of Jesus Christ with somebody. This week I had an opportunity, I was, I'd been gone to a conference in Birmingham and was sitting at a restaurant one day for lunch. The waiter asked what I wanted. I told him what I wanted and they came and brought my meal and I said, listen, I'm, I'm about to have a prayer. And I said, um, anything I can pray for you about? Anything going on in your world that, that you need somebody to pray for you about? person thought for a moment and said, yeah, I, you know, I, I just need some direction in life and just, you know, want to do something outside of working here but I don't know what that something is. And I don't feel like college is the, the thing. I said, tell you what, I'm gonna pray for you as I, as I pray for this meal. That person left, I started, I prayed for that person, started having my meal. About five minutes later, the person walks back to the table, said, can I just say thank you? I, I've never had somebody ask me how they could pray for me. I said, I said well, it's, it's my honor to pray for you. I said, I, you know, I hope God will direct your path and 
they begin to say, this is what this is what I'm trying to do. And I said, well, you know, these are some things you could try and these are some things you can do. But, you know, for me, it was, and it's not something I do at every meal, but it's something, you know, I try to do and, and, and it just was the right moment. I was trusting God in the leading. I felt God say, hey, you need to pray for this person. And so I just asked them, you know, are we trusting the truth that leads us to, to go make disciples, to go share our faith. Let me give you some questions for you to answer. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. Let me give you a couple of statements that we have to take hold of. First one is this. It's not enough just to listen to God's word. Listen, it's not enough to, to sit and study. And, and we have lots of people uh, in, in churches in America who love God's word, who sit every week, who study it, but that's all they do. We've got to do more than just listen to God's Word. Second thing is, it's not enough just to get what God's Word says. It's not enough to say, I'm sitting in this Bible study and I'm, oh man, this is speaking to my heart. It's not enough just to do that. You've got to do more. In fact, third statement I tell you, it's only enough when you live out what God's Word says. If God says this, we've got to get up and do this. So that means get up. That means if even though everybody else is going this way and you still believe with all your heart this is what God wants, you still have to stand up and do this. It's not enough just to hear. But the only way those things change is to have the right heart and the right attitude. When we look at God's word, our, our attitude should be that of gratefulness, humility, thankfulness, and trusting. Because God's word teaches us and changes us and challenges us and leads us. But the problem is, oftentimes we're like the three guys who were out hunting. There was a lawyer, a dentist, and a preacher were all deer hunting one day. They saw this big buck come across through there and all three shot at the same time at that buck. That buck went to the ground. They got over there to see how big that buck was. And there was only one shot on the buck and they couldn't figure out which one shot the buck. They were arguing so long a game warden came by. The game warden comes by and says, what's the problem, fellas? Well, we all saw this buck and we've all shot at it and no one knows which one of us hit the buck. The game warden looked at the buck and says, well, I can tell you who, who shot the, the, the buck. Well, who? The preacher. Well, how do you know it hit the preacher shot the buck? Because it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but it's true. So many times, we've heard a message, we've read our Bible, and we've allowed it to come in one ear and out the other. That's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to be people who are active in our faith, to be doers of the Word. This morning, Maybe you're here and there's a decision on your heart. Maybe there's something you need to do. 
Maybe today, finally, for the moment, you've stopped and realized God's been speaking to you and you have been allowing it to go in one ear and out the other. Maybe today you just stop. And you realize you need to take action. In just a moment, we're going to offer our hymn of invitation. That action could be to join our church family, to make a decision for Christ, to rededicate yourself, or, or just something else. But would you be someone who hears and responds to God? Would you stand with us this morning as we pray?